All of us, every single one of us, know what, it's, what it feels like to be an outsider. Don't we? You probably, when I say feeling like the person who was left out, feeling like the person who was on the outside looking in, feeling like the person who is the stranger, who doesn't know what's going on, you have experiences in your life knowing what that is like. In, in just a couple of months, we're going to school. For many people, school is a place where being the outsider is spotlighted. You're going to a new year, a new class, new friends. Maybe you picked up and moved to a new area, and so you're going to a new school. Or maybe you went from uh, elementary school into middle school or something like that. And, and all of these changes, you feel very much like you are the outsider, the one on the outside looking in. And it doesn't have to be just school. Uh, a new job, you're the outsider. A new neighborhood, maybe. All these things, we recognize how regularly we find ourselves as outsiders looking in. I remember when I was just a really little kid. I think I was six years old, maybe five or six years old. My parents sent me for a week-long summer camp, which if you've ever gone to a summer camp for a week uh, and, you know, when you're a kid, it is a, it's a whole different world. Summer camp is a great world. You don't have to get a shower at all the whole week long. Uh, your parents give you money for a canteen where you can go and buy really unhealthy food that you could never eat at home and you can have. I mean, summer camp is awesome. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, but this was my first experience at camping. And they sent me to this. It was a Christian camp up in North Jersey. It was actually the camp where they met and started dating. They both served there for summers. And this is where they met one another. So they had this really high view of this camp because it was a, a special place to them. And they had a lot of confidence in its integrity and what it did. And, and that was great because they were very excited. As a matter of fact, they were so excited to send us to this camp that they sent my sister and myself to this camp. The, the, the super exciting part for them was that the camp had allowed me to come even though I was a year younger than I was supposed to be to go to this camp. Like they made a special exception for me to go to this camp even though I was a year younger, which sounded like a great idea until I got to camp. And then I am literally a year younger than anyone in camp and for some two, three years younger. So my sister had a fantastic week. I had a traumatizing week. I had a horrible week. I was, I was bullied from the first day to the last day so much so that I found places very early on where I could hide from any of the other kids. I remember sitting, there was, a, there was a, uh, an office, the camp had an office, and uh, during free time when I didn't have to do what everyone else did, and even during times where they were playing games, when I could escape and not have to go there, if I could like escape my counselor, I would go sit in this office in the chair across from the receptionist and just sit there so that no one would bother me. It was terrible. It was horrible. I was very aware that I was the outsider, that I was not accepted, that I did not belong, that I was not safe with them. And of course, I made it, <laughs> as kids do, through the week. But that was not my last experience with being the outsider. It happens over and over again in our lives. And we all have our own stories. We all have our own I think the people of God, that's supposed to matter to us. That people have those experiences. And I think that when someone shows up in church feeling like they could potentially be the outsider, one of the great privileges we have is to help them cross that 
threshold from being someone who is strange and different and weird and unknown into someone who can belong and be a part and be accepted and be loved. Don't you think? I feel like today in our world, that's not the norm of what we do. As a matter of fact, I feel like it's becoming worse and worse as we go. We talk about polarization, but I will tell you what polarization is, is identifying the outsiders and making sure they know that they Listen for clue words about who do you, who do you watch on TV and, and, or so certain phrases you can hear someone say. And you can know their take on things like you know, coronavirus or politics or whatever. You can know it real quick. And then you can either treat them as, even though you don't know them, if they say the right things, they are a trustworthy friend. And I'll just, if they say it, even if they're like some podcaster online, but they say the right things, ah, they're trustworthy. I'll believe whatever they say. But if they say the wrong words... They are a vile enemy, and I cannot, they just deserve to be destroyed. This whole insider-outsider thing is becoming more and more ingrained as a dynamic in our world, in our society. It is doing harm, and I will tell you, I believe with all of my heart it is totally unchristian. I want to prove that to you today. I want to show that to you today. And I think you already know it. If you're a believer, I think in your soul, you already know that what I'm about to tell you is the truth. But I want us to look at it and I want to see if we can. Love one another. As we kick off VBS, we're going to practice this me this week what it means to be a Christian. We're going to try to get better at it. And one of those things that it means to be a Christian, one of those things it means to, to love others well is to invite the outsider in. To do the work so that those who are far away are brought near. So that the lost are found. That's some of what it means. That is core to what it means to be a Christian. So we've been talking through this whole summer about how Jesus sums up the law by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Deuteronomy 6, he got that from. And then he said, love your neighbor as yourself. So we're going to go to your favorite book in all of the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus, which is everybody's favorite book, Leviticus. You probably spent three or four hours this morning in devotions in Leviticus. You just can't put it down. Now, Leviticus is full of all kinds of laws, and it is hard sometimes. Like, if you're going to read through the Bible in a year, you go at Genesis. It's just filled with stories, and, and you're flabbergasted and shocked at all the things that happen. You get into Exodus, and it's just this narrative that keeps moving on. And the end of it is some law stuff, and then you get to Leviticus, and you're just like, I can't keep finding out what happens if somebody has, like, fungus on their nails. Like, you know. So you're kind of like weary of it, right? But Leviticus chapter 19, this is really interesting. Leviticus chapter 19 is the place that Jesus points to for love your neighbor as yourself. It's in the middle of this book and it's in the middle of this chapter. This chapter is a chapter of instructions and laws. Uh, some of it is the, the summation of the Ten Commandments. But when, when someone says to him, tell me what the most important command is, Jesus' mind goes to Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. And I want to show you some of the context around it because the very content of this chapter shows us that part of loving our neighbor is loving those who are unlike us. Loving people who are strange, people who are different, 
people who are outsiders. It's integrated into Leviticus chapter 19. So I'm going to read a few verses to you from Leviticus 19. And as I do, what I would like is for us to notice how intentional God is with his people. As he gives his people instructions on how to live, I want you to notice how intentional, how much practice there is involved with what he's saying to do about those who are outsiders. And here he uses the word foreigners. So Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10, it says this, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. From that verse, he goes right into do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive, do not swear false. Some Ten Commandments stuff. I want to jump down to verse 18, which is the verse that Jesus uses in the New Testament. And it's the second half of this verse, but verse 18 says this. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, continues on, and we're going to go down. We'll jump down to verse 33 and 34. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as you love yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Do you notice this like specificness of God around the love your neighbor as yourself? There's practice. There's practical issues. What he says is whenever you harvest, so any time of the year where you're harvesting crops, and every day that you go out during that time of year, I want you to build this in as a practice where you don't take all of what is God gives you in your crops. You leave some of it behind so that the outsider will be on your heart, will be part of your concern, will be something that you are patterning in that I care about the outsider. It's a way that God shows them you need to practice this. It's very interesting that right in the middle of this are the words that Jesus chooses. And so what I would say is this context, the verses that we read, including that command to love your neighbor, would teach us this. Having concern for the outsider is central to what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot say, well, they're not my people. Well, I don't care about them. Well, I don't know them. It doesn't matter about them. And faithfully fulfill the command to love your neighbor. You can't do both of them. They are integrated as one. And what, what God is saying to his people there is, I, I would think that the people would naturally think, this is my land. I planted it. I watered it. I weeded it. I took care of it. I am harvesting it. I have the right to all of these grapes. I have the right to all of this wheat. I have the right to all of it. God says, yes, you might have the right to it, but I want you to leave aside your right for the practice of being mindful and generous of the poor and the foreigner. I think it's very natural humanly to say, why should I let go of what is rightfully mine for the sake of someone I don't know? Someone who is weird. Someone who's different. Someone who's irritating and annoying. 
someone who has maybe even set themselves up as my enemy, someone who is antagonistic. Why would I set aside what I could take for myself for them? And for the people of God, the instruction is you do it because the Lord your God has said to you, the foreigner, the stranger, the outsider matters. And they are your business. You are to care about them. He actually gives two kind of reasons why they should care about the outsider. The first one is, and you see it kind of over and over again, I am the Lord your God. So as you read that, it could, and it said it at the end of each of those passages that we read, I am the Lord your God. You could get like this, which is true. God saying, I'm God, you're not. I get to say what happens, you don't. We have to actually listen to God. God is in charge. God is sovereign. God is the ruler. We will all give our account of ourselves to the Lord. He's the one who reigns, not us. Isn't that right? So God is God and we aren't. And God gets to say what's right and what's wrong. Yes, for sure. But I don't think that's what he's saying here. I don't think his basis is like, I'm in charge and you're not. I think what he's saying is, this is how I am. So if you're my people, this is how you should be too. I am a God who reaches to those who are far away and brings them near. As a matter of fact, Israel, I saw you when you were the outsider. And I went and got you. I rescued you and I redeemed you. And I bought you and I saved you. You mattered to me. And so I gave my attention, my time. I, I, I made my presence available in your lives. I worked in mighty power to deliver you as the outsider. The outsider mattered to me. And the other point, not just I am Lord your God so, to kind of imitate me, but you know what it's like to be the outsider, Israel. You know what it's like to be mistreated. Remember that. Remember that. It always surprised me, especially as a youth pastor. Like the, the, the older, the younger teens, they would come in, you know, sixth graders, seventh graders, eighth graders. Oh, those older kids, they have no time for us. And they think we're just, you know, bother. And they try to get away from us. And they never invite us to anything. And they never talk to us. And they, they never treat us like we matter. I'd say to them, remember that when you're the 10th grader, when you're the 11th grader, when you're the senior, remember that so that you can react differently. And they never did. <laughs> They'd come to me and say, Pastor Mark, those sixth graders are so annoying. Why do we have to have them in youth group with us? And I was like, remember when you were a sixth grader? And those who were 11th graders and 12th graders, like they were, they were your idols? Maybe, you sh maybe God gave you this spot to use it for their benefit instead of for you to just push away what's uncomfortable. But we don't think like that, do we? See, people of God, this is transformational love. The outsiders are invited in. They are brought close as though they matter. I know that instead of remembering all the times that I've been left out, which is a painful memory, it's natural for me to push it away. But here God says to his people, remember what it's like so that you will have a tender heart towards the outsider. Today, I don't know that many of you have done a lot of harvesting this week. Maybe, probably not. I don't know if any of you are farmers, but probably most of us have not done a lot of harvesting. And even if you did, leaving behind crops is not the way that we care for the foreigner or the stranger anymore. But that doesn't mean it's not part of God's heart anymore. So today, how would we have a mindfulness about the outsider? How would we care about the people who are unlike us? the people who don't have the same background and the same ideas as us. That is what God asked his people to do. That has always been a part of what it means to be God's people. We've heard a lot in the past year about or loving your neighbor. 
What does it mean to love your neighbor in this world? It means this, it means this, it means this. I think there's probably a lot of legitimate ways to think about it. And I think there's a lot of sorting out that the church has to do about the fact that different people are going to have different approaches and different ideas and different priorities. And that's part of the fact that we're a body, that we all have different places that God wants to put us. But I will tell you this, more than solving the world's problems, I believe that loving your neighbor is about you figuring out where those people are outsiders around you and letting that matter to you. Letting someone who is different from you, someone who is strange, someone who is weird, someone who doesn't fit, letting that matter to you. Let it matter to you like it mattered to the Creator who loved them and died for them. If you don't have time for people who are on the outside, if all you have is time for people that are like you, the people that you like, people that like you... If that's all you have time for, God's saying to you, this is normal and natural. This is not how I want my people to respond to the world around them. I want you to have a heart for the outsider. Finding a way to practice embracing God's view of them into my life. If you have a view of someone, I've said this before to people. People are like, I can't stand that person. They're just so horrible. I don't want, they irritate me. They annoy me. I can't stand them. And I say, you know, that's interesting. What do you think God thinks about that person? Well, you know, God loves them, whatever. (laughs) Okay, so if you think they're this and God thinks they're that, who do you think is right? Like that should be challenging to us as God's people. That my opinion of someone needs to come into harmony with my father's view of that person. I'm not saying we have to be close to everybody. We have to uh, look, overlook all the, the ways that we're wounded or people are untrustworthy. There's a lot of relational stuff that plays its way out. But I don't just push people away because they don't fit with me. It might mean that I have to get into the habit of having eyes to see who's on the outside and needs to come in. And that's legitimately what we're doing this week. We are looking out and saying, let's do everything we can. Let's throw a giant party. Let's have a lot of energy. Let's spend time and energy and money to make sure that outsiders, when they walk through that door, know that we love that they are here. And we want them to know the truth of the Word of God. We want them to know the work that God wants to do. We want them to know the hope that comes through Jesus. We want to serve them and love them and invite them in. That's what we do at VBS. That's a practice that we do because we want to get better and better at it. And as we do, we start to embrace the essence of what it means to be a Christian. And I want to show you, just we're going to flip over to Ephesians chapter 2. I want to show you that the very core of what it means to be a Christian is that outsiders are invited in. That God saw you outside and said, hey, you can, you can come in. I want you to come in. I desperately want you to come in, so much so that I sent my son to die for you so that you could come in, right? So that is very core of what it means to be a Christian because outsiders being invited in is the narrative of the gospel. The one who does this first and foremost is Jesus, and he doesn't do it casually. He dies so that it's possible. So I'm gonna read to you from Ephesians chapter two, verses 11 to 18. It says this, therefore... Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body with human hands. Remember 
that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Do you see? This is part of the gospel story that you have experienced is this fundamental miracle in the church of Jesus Christ that represents the glory of God and the power of his salvation, that people who are unlike one another come together and are joined together as one by the power of the saving grace of God. That is a miracle. Throughout all of history, throughout all of human society, there are always groups. This group is this and this group's that and people protect their advantage, they protect their identity, whatever. But in the church of Jesus Christ, those who are unlike us become part of us. Unreasonably deep, supernaturally powerfully drawn together, these people become part of us. Here he's saying different ethnicities. You've got Jew and you've got Gentile. And the fact that they were so far apart and yet God made them one in Jesus Christ. And it wasn't just Jew and Gentile. Throughout history, it's been all kinds of nations all over the world. But it goes beyond just your ethnicity, your inherited identity. It goes to different social classes. In the church of Jesus Christ, there can be someone who's very high up in the social standing and someone who is very, very low. But we all stand before Jesus as sinners who are saved by grace, right? And we become one body in the power of Jesus Christ. We belong to one another. People who have different intellectual levels, someone who's, who's like really, really good at school stuff and someone who struggles with school stuff. It doesn't matter. Different talent levels, someone who's very, very talented, someone who doesn't really know what their talents are. Different backgrounds, different family situations. I come from a great Christian home. I come from a broken home. It doesn't matter, does it? We are The miracle, the fundamental miracle in the church is that everyone is joined together in Jesus Christ. Different marital statuses. Those who are single are not left out. Those who are married, are, we are joined together. It doesn't matter that we have different marital. I'm widowed, I'm divorced. It doesn't matter. We have different political affiliations. It doesn't matter that you think this and I think that because in, in Christ, we are one. And what Paul says is that's the bigger deal. Now, church, I feel like we struggle to believe that that's the bigger deal. To believe that the unity of the body of Christ is bigger than me being right on whatever political point I have. And I wonder if we're aware of the impact we're having as we interact with people about what we think politically. In other words, if he says that the two who are far away have been brought near and made one by the blood of Christ, I wonder if we are living that out in all of the power that we should be. Or if we're fighting against it. 
people who are different ages, the old and the young, people who have different interests. The blood of Jesus brings all of these and many more together as one in Jesus. So in VBS week, we turn our attention out to the outsiders and we say, what can we do to invite them in? To make them know that they are welcome, to make them know that they are celebrated. People who think differently than us. People who live differently than us. People who have strange patterns in their life. Things that are, clearly you're not part of my tribe. You're not in my comfort zone. That makes me, I don't care. We're inviting them in. We're inviting them in. We're inviting them in because God invites the outsider in. And we do it intentionally. We do it this week very intentionally. We do it with our energy and our focus and we've built up to this for weeks. We do it with a lot of fanfare so that it becomes more our norm through the rest of the year. So that we never lose our grip on welcoming the outsider in. So that we have eyes to see when God might use me to welcome the outsider in. We serve them, we celebrate them, we tell them that they have value, that they have a place to belong. We begin to see them, we begin to have a heart to serve them. We start to pull down barriers and walls that would keep them out, that would serve to reinforce the idea that you're an outsider. See, barriers and walls do a great job of me, if I'm on the inside, holding my place, holding my importance, holding my position. But if, if I hold those barriers and walls so that I feel better about myself, they serve to create an, a challenge, a blockade for people who need the power of Jesus Christ poured into their life to come in. So in VBS week, we intentionally rip down everything we can and say, whatever is in the way, we want it out of the way because you need the salvation that Jesus offers and because that matters so much, we have to keep figuring out how to invite the outsider in. And when we do, when we're willing to do that, it starts to stretch us outside of what feels easy or comfortable. Most of the time, you don't grow without growing pains spiritually, right? Most of the time, when you can identify a spot in your life where you've grown spiritually, it was hard, wasn't it? To grow? It was painful to grow? You got stretched to grow? So if we only love people who love us, so what? What kind of supernatural love is that? Right? That's exactly what Jesus' point is. Matthew chapter 5, at the, end of the, uh, at the end of the first chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, he actually asks those same questions he says in verse 46. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Jesus says, listen, as believers, I know that it's easy to show grace and kindness to those who are your people, but if that's all you show grace and kindness to, you are not evidencing the glory of God, the power, the transformative work of the love of Christ through you. You're not living in that. He makes it very pointed. If you only greet those who are your own people. Do you see? We are called to welcome in those who are not our people. That's what we're called to. And it stretches us. Because what he's saying is, you don't need to know Jesus to like people who are like you. You don't need to know Jesus to like people who are like you. 
People who make you comfortable. People who agree with you. People who have the same background as you. You don't need Jesus to like people who like you. But to love people who are unlike you, that takes Jesus. And because Jesus is in us, that's who we should be increasingly more and more. I'm not talking about unsafe people don't like people who are unlike them, but I'm talking about more than tolerating people. I'm talking about more than having a fondness for them. I'm talking about the love, the supernatural love we've been talking about. I look at the outsider, someone who is uncomfortable for me, someone who is so distant from me, someone who's so far away from my experience, and I treat them with profound patience and kindness because love is patient and kind. I treat them with Humility, because love is not proud, it does not boast, it is not puffed up. It is not easily angered, right? It does not envy, it does not dishonor others. I treat them in love. That takes Jesus. That takes Jesus. Paul goes so far as to say that he regularly practices caring about outsiders and working to win them by adopting their uniqueness. He says, listen, I know there are lots of reasons why I could say, well, you're strange and you're weird and I don't know what you, I don't get you, you're not like me. But instead of that, I do this. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, down to verse 22. It says this, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews to those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. He's tearing down those barriers, isn't he? He says, listen, this, this purpose, this cause, this work, this salvation of Jesus matters so much that I am desperate to invite outsiders in, and I want to figure out how to help them know that they are welcomed in. His general words about becoming like them is not meant to say that he's insincere or putting on a show. What he's saying is, I don't hold on to anything of me. I want them to know that I see them, that I notice them, and I want to go serve them. I want to set aside what I could hold on to for the sake of maybe, just maybe, they can see that they can come to Jesus. Church, this is our calling. And I think it is amazing for our discussion this summer and even this week of VBS that he says in the parenthesis, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So in this passage about looking at the outsider and being desperate to bring the outsider in, he says, I'm doing it because I'm under Christ's law. When you read Christ's law in the New Testament, what does that mean to you? When you hear Christ's law, do you know what Christ's law is? A new command I give to you. Love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. It is the command we've been talking about as we've been going through the summer. And it is the command that drives not only Leviticus, it drives having a mind, having a heart for the outsider. Here in Paul's ministry, it is the thing that is, he's connecting to 
I do whatever I need to do so that there are no unnecessary barriers and that all those who are on the outside would know that they are welcomed in. This week, we get to serve people. We get to invite the outsider in. I don't need to make a lot of practical suggestions this week. We're going to put everything we got into serving the outsider and inviting them in through VBS in whatever part you play. Maybe you can't come, but you can help us uh, set up next week or this week. You can help us be at the picnic. Or maybe all you can do is pray. You can commit to pray. Maybe you can give. Maybe you're going to be here every morning. Maybe you're going to be here every night. But all, with all that we are, we are going to invite those who are far away to come near because that's what Jesus did to us. We are going to practice our Christianity. We are going to put it to work, allowing the power of God to flow out through us to those who need it the most. Outsiders being brought in. Just like at one time, God brought me, who was far away, into his family. And I pray that there's a great harvest at our church this week don't you? Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, this morning, this is something only you can do in us. This is not natural or normal. It's not something we can stir up and create inside of us. So I pray that your word and your spirit would be at work in your people. That as we step into this week and these opportunities, Father, you would give us a voice to invite others in. Whether that is specifically going and telling other people, come, you should come to VBS, or whether that is making this place a welcoming place, helping people overcome the obstacles that would keep them away from Jesus. However it is, whatever it is, fill us with your power, fill us with your wisdom, fill us with your love for the outsider. Use this not only to grow your kingdom, to save souls, to see eternity impacted for people, but to grow us, to change us more and more into the image of your Son. Father, we want your work in us and through us, so we come now asking for it. Use us this week, and may it be a, a great week where your name is honored and where many come to know the salvation that is in Jesus Christ, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.